So good evening everybody. I wanted to discuss a very important topic with you this evening and that is the topic of tefillah, davening, and the way that no tefillah goes unanswered. One of the major tenets when we speak about davening is that as much as a person sometimes feels that, as a Rebbe of mine once put it, people think that a a, um, a a davening is like a vending machine. You know, you put in your tefillah and out pops the candy. No matter what happens, it's always supposed to come out. Whatever you need is supposed to happen just because you davened. And when you believe that that is the truth, it could become very disappointing and very discouraging when you find that very often that's not what happens. Sometimes, very often, we daven for things and we really want them and we think that it's going to be good for us and it's good for the Rabbani Shalom, it's good for our families, and it doesn't happen. It could be anything like a, a raise in salary, it could be a, having a, a child at a certain point in our life, it could be getting married, it could be a, getting a new job, finding a new career, moving to a different city, winning the lottery, whatever it may be, we find that uh, we daven, and for some reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu seems to not be responding to our tefillahs, and that is obviously very, very uh, shattering for us, because as a child to a parent, you often expect that whatever we ask for, we should get. There's an interesting story that's told about when Reb Schneer Cutler was very, very sick. Reb Schneer was Reb Aaron Cutler's son and successor. He took over for Reb Aaron Cutler after Reb Aaron Cutler was nifter. He became the Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood. Uh, he expanded the, the, the boundaries of Lakewood uh, to thousands of Talmidim. When Reb Aaron was nifter, there were hundreds of Talmidim. When Reb Schneer was nifter, there were thousands. So he was quite successful in what he did. But unfortunately, Reb Schneer caught the dreaded illness um, at, a, at a relatively young age, at a time that he was expected to live at least another 20, 30 years. And at a, in the prime of his life, he, he got this disease. And, um, and he got very, very sick. And thousands and thousands of Neitaira men, women, children were davening for him in Lakewood, in Eretz Yisrael, throughout the world. And he was nifter. And some of the Talmidim were very upset about this because we stormed the heavens, we needed Reb Shner, and how could it be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't answer these thousands and tens of thousands of tefillahs that were said with such purity, with such... Uh, greatness with Lashma, like what could have been bad? What? How could HaKadosh Baruch Hu not listen? And they went, a few of these Talmidim went to the stipler in Eretz Yisrael in Bnei Brak. The stiplers, of course, he was the God of Adar, and his son, Yibadol Chaim, is Reb Chaim Kanievsky, also the God of Adar. Um, and they asked the stipler this question, how is it possible that all of those tefillahs went empty-handed. What happened to all the tefillahs that we davened? How could that be? And the stipler answered, no, you should know that no prayer is sent back empty. This is how Hashem runs the world. Every word of prayer causes a reaction. If not today, 
then tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then the next day. It might even take a hundred years, but every word of prayer has its effect. And that's a very powerful message that the stipler sends to all of us. And that is, never become disappointed, never lose faith, never lose hope, just because HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not answer our prayers as pure as they may be, as well-intentioned as they may be, as, as innocent as they may be. There's no greater prayer than a person could have, than a parent could have, um, for a child that they should succeed in, in learning Tyra. There's no greater prayer. Sometimes a person davens that and it doesn't work out. A person wants to have a child, and he's, they're trying, 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 it's not working out, you daven to there's no purer prayer than that. And yet, it doesn't always happen. The stipler tells us that it doesn't, don't believe for a second that it went empty-handed, that that prayer just sort of dissipated into the ether and nothing, nothing became of it. Every single word of feel that we say regardless of whether there was an instantaneous reaction, has its effect. It has a very profound effect. And if not today, maybe it's not the right time for the prayer to take effect. Maybe it takes another year, maybe another five, ten years. Maybe in our lifetime we'll never see the effects of this prayer, but maybe in our children's lifetime, in a grandchild's lifetime, that's when the prayer will suddenly hit its mark. But you should never become despondent or depressed or give up hope or be miyayish because your tefillahs that you so desperately wanted were not fulfilled. Because every single prayer is fulfilled in some way. No prayer goes unanswered. It would be a fair question to ask, why is it in fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't answer our prayers? After all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to daven, there are medrashim that say that the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings us tsaris, he gives us the problems just because he wants to hear our tefillahs. Okay, so he gave us the tsara, we responded as we were supposed to with tefillah, and yet it didn't work. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu hold back from answering something that is good for Klal Yisrael, is good for me, is good for everybody. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu deprive me of that? And there is many different ways to answer that question. The simplest way to answer it is uh, with a mushal. When my children were young, and some of them still are, um, they always asked me if I could buy them what was called a razor. Not not the thing to shave with, that would be a different schmooze, but... Um, a razor is like, I'm sure you know, it's like a scooter, uh, like a very slick, like compactable scooter. And all their friends, of course, had it. And why can't we have one? I had this like premonition or this repeat, this, you know, I had this joke in my head that it's just not a safe thing, that they're going to lose control of it. They're going to get hit by, and I just did not want them to get a razor. Maybe it was a mishigas that I had. Or maybe I was right, but I didn't want them to have that thing. I bought them bicycles. They were not hardly deprived, in my opinion, but I just did not want them to have something that I considered to be dangerous. I have a lot of these Mishagas, and I don't like them to go ice skating because I have this thing that they're, you know, that they're going to fall and somebody's going to, whatever. Um, but 
Am I wrong for having that? No, I'm the parent. I get to decide on a certain level what what I feel is good for my child and what I don't feel is good for my child. If I feel that it's a, a you know a normal, healthy, proper thing to do, then of course the child should have it. But if if I feel that it's dangerous or it's not good for my child to to have this particular thing, I as a parent have the right and the obligation to say no. I'm fully entitled. When they want to, you know, when they get grow up and they have children of their own, if they want to, you know, rebel and give them 20 razors because I didn't give them any razors, Gesundheit, that's their problem. But I don't have to give them what I feel is not good for them, is not, is not safe. And this is exactly, I think, what is going on with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and us. We think that we know, just as my children think that it's a perfectly normal, healthy, you know, pastime to be able to ride around on a scooter, and maybe it is. But they think that, and I think the opposite. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks down on us and says, I know that you think that what you're asking for is good for you, but I know better. I know that by me giving what you want to you is not doing you a favor, it will be doing you a disservice at this stage in life. And we find that so often, like we, we don't understand, you know, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu could not give me something. And we're so adamant that we deserve it and that it's good for us and that it should come to us and why is other people getting it and if they got it, I certainly should get it. The answer is very simple. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is allowed to say no to us, just like a parent is allowed to say no to a child and everyone does it. Every parent does this. They say no to the child, sometimes too often, sometimes not often enough, but a parent has the right to say no to a child, period. Because a parent ultimately has a lot more experience than the child, has his child's best interest at heart, and he's allowed to say no. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu says no to our prayers, it's not because he doesn't like us, it's not because he, you know, it's because he loves us. But as a loving parent, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is protecting us from something that we think is good, but really it's not good. The Panamichirov puts it the best, but it's a hard um, it's a hard quote to really translate into English because it sounds much better in, in Yiddish, but the and it fits what much better in Yiddish. But basically the quote is that somebody once came to Rav Kahneman, the great Panavichirov, the Rashivan Panovich, and the founder of that flagship institution there at Sisal and Brak, and he complained that Akhrishvarhu did not answer his prayers. And the Panovich Rav replied that the man's complaint that God did not answer his prayers um, was wrong. He said that not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not answer your prayers. He did answer your prayers, but the answer was no. You know, it, the, the way it's in Yiddish, I don't know if anyone here understands Yiddish, but basically the person said, I asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu something, and he's not, he didn't answer me. And the Panavich Rav says, he did answer you, and the answer was nisht. The answer was no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu can give us a no once in a while, and it's a good thing. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us, just like it doesn't mean that I don't love my child when I say no to something that they're asking me that I think of as dangerous. It just means that 
you know, that, uh, that, that I'm, I love my child and I'm allowed to say no, even though they're crying and they're, and they're complaining and they think, you know, they give me dirty looks and they think that I'm, I'm mean, but I'm not mean. I'm, I'm doing it out of love. And a child, of course, thinks that their parents are mean when they don't give them what they want. But as parents, you can fully understand that that's not the case. And we have to put ourselves, Kaviachal and Akadosh shoes as well, and understand that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says no to us, it's not because he's angry at us or he doesn't care about us or he likes other people better. He really knows. I might not know what's really best for my child, but he really does know what's best for all of us. And when he tells us something, then we have to accept the no as a no with love. You know, sometimes you actually get to see this. Sometimes you get to see this. I'll give you a, a great example that just happened on Arab Shabbos. Great example. Um, you know, yeshiva has been closed. Lander College has been closed for uh, you know for close to I guess two months since Purim, and uh, and uh, it's been very hard for everybody. Every the whole world is going through it. But just on a you know as as a personal community that we're we're talking between right now. Um, it's been very hard on, on each and every one of us, on, on the Rabbeim and on the Talmidim and on the Kail and, and, the, and the, on the wives, on the children. It's, uh, it's not the same Shabbos, not the same Yantif. We miss every, every moment of it. And we don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing this. And we're davening, you know, let this machla go away. And, uh, and we don't understand anything. We have no idea why this is happening. As much as you hear probably a million people talking, maybe even myself, you know, that it's because, you know, we're talking too much during davening, we're not respecting the shuls, and we don't, you know, we're not putting enough, we're not learning with enough amelos, we're not davening well enough, or we're not, whatever, we're not giving enough. So there could be a million reasons, and none of those reasons necessarily are true, none of them are necessarily false. We just, we don't know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's master plan is for all of this. And anyone that says they do, unless their name is Rebchaim Kanievsky, don't trust. Because anyone can, you know, can, can theorize about anything, but ultimately this is a very major event that, unless you're a Navi, you can't really understand what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kavan is. All you could do is try to take a personal message from it and try to do tshuva on a personal level. If I know that I'm speaking too much Lashon Hara, it wouldn't be a bad idea. It can't hurt to speak a little less Lashon Hara. If I want to, you know, be more medactic on Ilcha Shabbos, be more medactic. Whatever you feel you need personally, then do it. No, that's a wonderful reaction, I believe, to any of these types of cataclysmic events. Every person has to take for themselves a Kabbalah that they feel might better themselves so that when we get out of this matzav, hopefully soon, we'll be stronger and better people for it. But when Maisa Yeshiva has been closed for two months, the doors have been locked. It's impossible to get into that building. I've tried. I got in like once or twice, and you don't know how much protects it. I needed to get into that building. I needed a computer. I needed my notes. I needed some svarim for this man. And I mamish had to contact the dean who had to call the vice president of Turo College in order to get the door open for Rabbi Bamberger for it so he can go in for 20 minutes and get something from him. The door was mamish, it's like Yerichai, Sagar and Masur, it was completely sealed, this, this building. No boys going in, no boys going out. I happened to have gotten in on the first day of this man and it was heart-wrenching because I was in the base medrash. It was dark, it was, all the lights were off, it was empty on the first day of this man 
the day that it should be really pumping adrenaline, everyone's excited to be there, and, you know, there was no one there, it was very, very heartbreaking. On Friday afternoon, this past Friday, I, I'm sure a lot of you heard, it was on all the major uh, news sites, and uh, there was a, a police officer that I think was chasing somebody, and he lost control of his car, and the car went, a police car went smashing into the front doors of Lander College an hour before Shabbos. I don't know if you, if anyone heard of that, but uh, it was on all the big news sites. I went last night, late at night, with my kids to see the damage, and it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was like uh, pottery was there was, you know, we have those big. Uh, if you ever noticed these big potted plants outside. The cops smashed through all this dirt all over the sidewalk from all the... And he went, Mamash, into the building. There's shattered glass. The doors were broken, Baruch Hashem. They were able to uh, temporarily repair them so people won't come into the building. But it's a churva. But what went through my mind, and I think one of my children also correctly noticed this, is that on a personal level, again, I'm not saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought Corona to the world, you know, for this. There might be a, a million thises because of this, but... One thing that, just to take note of, is that it was Arab Shabbos, it was a time that Rachman and Litzlan, if we had been in yeshiva, and this had happened in a normal time when the Zman was, was open, and it was, it was, let's say it would be a regular Shabbos, and there would be boys coming in and, you know, into yeshiva, and children coming into yeshiva was uh, very close to Shabbos, so it's entirely possible, Rachman and Litzlan, maybe, you know, this is a reason why Akedah Shparchu, on a personal level, as our community maybe should give should bench Gaimel, because if Corona had not happened, it's not uh, the uh, you know the craziest assumption that somebody would have gotten very very badly hurt. So we're asking Akedah Shparchu open the doors of Yeshua, open the doors of Yeshua, and he's not doing it. It's every, you know, every May 15th came and went, and June is coming and going, and, you know, we don't, everyone's like wondering, when is it going to end? When is it going to I don't know when it's, no one knows when it's going to end, and that's what creates so much frustration amongst all of us. We have no idea if there's summer camp, if there's sleepaway camp, if there's going to be Zman, you know, in El, if we're going to open up the doors. Everyone is wondering about their own personal livelihoods, I'm sure, and, you know, their own guns, if they're going to open, and if they're, uh, you know, going to be able to see their parents Again, you know, in a, in a, you know, and in, in, in a, in a, in a normal Shabbos setting, because you're not supposed to have much contact with your, with, with elderly parents, and uh, we don't know why. But we're davening, davening. It's not Hakadosh Baruch is not answering. But you know, maybe the no is such an act of love. Sometimes he said no. We can't open our doors. And look what happened. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu says now, now maybe you understand why I didn't want you to get the razor for the Afrikaimen present. Now you know why I didn't want to open Yeshiva just yet, because I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Kal Yachal, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything. He knew that there was going to be a cop car that's going to come careening into the front of the building, and so he didn't allow it to open. I'm not saying that that's explaining every single other shul in the world that why it's not open. That does that's irrelevant. That doesn't change our personal clarity at this moment of why Hakadosh Baruch Hu said no. Can we still say it's an act of not of anything but love that Hakadosh Baruch Hu did tell us that no? I think it's an act of absolute love. 
But you have to have the right glasses, you have to have the right hashkafa to see that. Here we got to actually see it a little bit. Other Batimedrish might not see that, and therefore they're still complaining about why they're not opened yet, and how come you didn't open Maishul and Maishul and Maishul, and in the five towns they're doing this, and Lakewood they're doing that, and how come by, you know, all this complaining, all this, it's, 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 it's not appropriate because there's a cheshvan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing everything at the right time. We have to listen to our Rabbanim and, and respect what they say, and, and, and if they're saying not to daven on porch minyanim, and not to go into our shuls yet, and not to, I don't care if every shul in the world is doing a certain thing, but if our Rabbanim are telling us not to, then we have to listen to our Rabbanim, because that's also an extension of what the Rabbanim Shalom wants us to do. But these are all, I think, like a very good example of how sometimes a no is the biggest bracha. Something that was the biggest bracha. You don't have to. We we all know this. We all probably have books written about Ashkacha Pratis stories personally. And if you don't, it's a really good idea to start one. I started one about a year ago because I was preaching about it for a long time. I said, you know what? Let me do it actually. And um, and it's the greatest thing in the world. You go out, you get yourself a little uh, a little notepad or a little a nice book, you know, and uh, you write on it Ashkacha Pratis. And every time something happens to you big or small, you write it down, and then you'll never forget it, because if you don't write it down, then we forget things, and then when we really need to reflect on how personal HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us, and how much He really loves us, um, if we don't write it down, we're going to not have anything to remember, because the Yitzhara makes us forget you know, these types of stories when we really need to draw on them. But if we have a book in front of us, and we write it down, Every time we're a little depressed and we're, on, we're, we're wondering why is HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying no, we say, wait a minute, he's not saying no. He's saying, I love you and I don't, it's not the right time. I'll give it to you maybe at the right time, but right now is not, not the right time. And haven't I showed you enough times in your life that this didn't work out for you, but as a result, something much better did. And you just have to have patience and trust that I know what I'm doing and, and, and believe in me. That's one answer for the question. The one answer for the question is, why is HaKadosh Baruch not answering me? He is. The answer is no. And a, a parent can say no, and the no is really the biggest yes in the world. The other answer is, and there might be more, but this is, these are the two that I want to share with you tonight, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saving our tefillahs for the right time. Meaning, you're davening, for something, and that, that something is very, very important to you right now. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows that those tefillahs are going to be much more important to be put in a savings account, if you will, and when you need to really come on to those prayers, they will be there for you. I'll give you a, a, an example of this. It's not a, necessarily a tefillah example, but I think it's a very good example nonetheless. I once uh, read a story about a person who was driving in the country, in the Catskill Mountains, and it's very dangerous to drive in the Catskill Mountains at night. He was driving very, very late at night, and he, uh, he was falling asleep at the wheel in one of these backcountry roads. And very dangerous, you know, there, you can, there are cliffs over there, and there's uh, 
and he was driving and he was listening to a shear in the car. And all of a sudden, he hears a beep. And as he's falling asleep, the beep wakes him up. And he was mamish like on the cliff. He was about to go off. The beep wakes him up. And, you know, and he gets back onto the road and he like stops the car and he gets to himself. And he, uh, he's looking for the car that beeped him because he figured it sounded like a big truck actually behind him. And he figured that there was a truck that saw him going off the road. And in order to wake him up, he honked. But he didn't see a truck. He didn't, he didn't remember seeing a truck behind him. He didn't see a truck, you know, that maybe passed him on the road afterwards. And he was very confused, like, where did this truck, where, where did that beep come from that woke him up? And then he listened to the shear again. And at that moment in the she- on the tape of that particular shear, there was an open window. Now, the shear was like 15 years earlier was given. There was an open window where the rabbi was giving the shear, and some there was a truck on the road outside of that shear fifteen years earlier that was honking. Now at that time was probably a very big annoyance that the window was open. It was the summer, and there was a a, a truck honking outside of the building that the shear was being given in, and everybody was probably like, "I can't hear. It's awful." But HaKadosh Baruch Hu made this happen. Fifteen years earlier, he knew that this Yid would, was going to be driving on a highway, listening to a shir, and at that moment that he was up to this point in shir, he would be falling asleep, he might have died on the highway, but for the fact that this hank came at the perfect time and woke him up. That's a real Hashkacha Prata story in like the most exacting way. But that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does with our tefillahs also. Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels that, you're right, maybe you do deserve what you're davening for, and you need it right now, and it's a good thing to have, and it's not a good thing to have. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes says, I'm going to take your tefillah that is so precious and so important, and I'm going to, I'm going to sort of put it on ice for a while, and maybe in 10 years from now, that feel, those tears that you shed over a certain matter, whether it's for a child that needed a refuah, or whether it's for a friend that's not doing so well, or it's for a, you know, a parent or a grandparent or a klal Yisrael, whatever, you gave such pure tefillahs to HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch says, this tefillah I'm saving. And I'm going to put it away because I know that in the future you're going to have a child, a grandchild, a great-great-great-grandchild, Maybe not in our lifetime. Maybe you ever think about descendants that will, ha- that will come from you a hundred years after we're no longer here, or maybe 500 years after we're no longer here. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows that there will be a need for Yeshua then, much more than you need the Yeshua now. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates this tefillah, preserves it, and whenever it needs to come out, whenever this tefillah needs to be activated, the Yeshua needs, the, the response to the tefillah is necessary, that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes it out and uses it at that point. This is really what the stipler said. The stipler said about Rabbi Schneir Kotler's tefillahs that seem to have gone for, to waste. He said, if not today, then there will be a reaction tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then the next day. It might even take a hundred years. But every word of prayer has its effect.
not always because we daven today is it necessary for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to answer today. Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, listen, you deserve it. I'm not saying no. Sometimes I have to say no because I know that no is the right answer. Sometimes I want to give you a yes, but I know that it's much better to hold on to the yes for a later period when you really need it bad. Right now you need it, but maybe it's not as bad as you or your child or your great-great-grandchild might need it, and I'm saving it for then. Rabbi Shamshim Rafal Hirsch says on a, uh, on a Pasuk that we always say, Neitzer chesed la'alafim. What does it mean? HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates chesed for a thousand years or for a thousand generations. And what that means, what is the word neitzer? Neitzer means to create, but it also means to grow, like the Lashem Netzer Matai. It's a growth, it's a sapling. It's like a little tree that's taking growth. Neitzer Chesalaf Makarish Baruchu takes the seed, which is your prayer, plants it in the ground, and then makes it sprout at exactly the moment. It could be a thousand years or a thousand generations down the road, but just when you need it to happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes it happen at the right time. It doesn't happen when you want it to happen, because when you want it to happen, it might be good and it might be necessary, but it's not as necessary as when HaKadosh Baruch Hu really knows that it's time for this to come to fruition, to this, this feel to come. We'll just end with uh, something about Shavuos, because we're, we're approaching Shavuos, um, and that is that this is especially true for praying that our children and our, and, and our relatives, our husbands, are matzliach in learning. When it comes to Torah, which is really what the Yantav of Shavuos is all about, we daven all the time, or we should, that our children are matzliach in learning. We know that there's a famous tefillah that women say after they light Shabbos candles, v'zakeni l'gadol banimu v'nei banim oiskim b'atayr v'mitzvahs, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should merit me, give me this chus to raise children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are oiskim b'atayr v'mitzvahs. That's a very powerful tefillah. The Rabbeinu B'chayi says you should daven while you're li- after you finish lighting candles, a tefillah about your children's success in learning because it's a time that women have this powerful mitzvah, and at the point that you do a powerful mitzvah is when your tefillahs and when, you're, when, when the, 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 the service of your, of your lips are the most powerful and most, most potent. And so there's something major at that time to daven for your child being a Talmud Chacham and your husband and whoever else you have in mind, Klal Yisrael having Talmud Chacham. So the Chazanish said once, that sometimes you find that there are people that grew up, maybe they grew up in a, you know, in a very, very non-Tarotika home, maybe they were in Shema Shabbos, and all of a sudden something happens, and they become very uh, inspired to, uh, to start learning. Some of them all of a sudden, like in high school, a Chabad rabbi and CSY, some, some neighbor inspires this child, and they begin to get into learning, and, they, and they're steigen, and they go to Eretz Yisrael for a year or two, and then they become, come back, and they're on fire, and they become big Tamid Chachamim. How did this happen? 
How did this happen? Like from nothing. I mean, the, the, the mother is not Shema Shabbos, the father is not Shema Shabbos, or they're not, you know, from really in a, in a, in a classical way. And all of a sudden, they are Zaychet to have amazing B'nai Taira from not, you know, sometimes you find there are big Rosh Hashivas, big Rabbanim and their children, it, it's a disaster. They don't, have, they don't have any nachas from their children. And their neighbor might be people that like were you know driving on Shabbos, and their and their children one after the other they uh, they are amazing bnei Torah, and it's like a shocking thing. You know the story that they some uh, a woman who wasn't uh, Shemer Shabbos she had children, and one after another turned into these big bnei Torah and big Tamid Chacham and and bnei Yisrael, and she goes to her reform rabbi and asks like what's going on. He said I don't know. Did you check your mezuzahs? Maybe you should check your mezuzahs see what's happening. But that's, sometimes that happens. You see that people... Where did this happen from? The, so the Chazanish said that the reason why this is happening is because maybe a grandmother in Russia, a great Baba, an, an elder Baba in Russia, maybe, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, when she was lighting her Shabbos candles, she was davening with tears coming down her eyes, She was Shemer Shabbos. She was davening like crazy that she should have children that are B'nai Taira. And for her, maybe she didn't see Nachas. Maybe the next generation went off the Derech and the, and the generation after that went off there. But those tears never left HaKadosh Baruch Hu's radar. It might not have happened right away because HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that it was going to be necessary for these tefillahs to come through at a certain point that the tree should sprout at just a certain point and exactly at that right moment give that child or a great-grandchild the siyata de shemaya, the heavenly assistance to attain the potential that he was meant to attain or she was meant to attain. And so it's just sort of a, uh, a reminder, I guess. You don't need me to remind you. But as we're approaching... The, the Kabbalah Satira, the time of, of receiving the Torah, it's a very propitious time right now to daven every day, maybe when you're making a Birchah Satira, maybe when you're saying Tillim, especially when you're lighting the Shabbos candles, especially when you're lighting the Yantav candles right before Shavuos, and on Shavuos itself, which is, a, is, is known as a Yayim Hadin for Tyra. It's a day that we're all judged for how much Tyra we're going to learn the coming year, us, our husbands, our children, our community. These are times that our tefillahs are very, very powerful. And again, if it's not even, if you don't see immediate success, don't be despondent. Because even if it doesn't work out exactly like we are intending it today, sometimes the Paris will come forth in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, in 100 years from now. But every feel that we daven will be answered. Sometimes it'll be immediate, and sometimes it won't, but it will always find its exact moment that it will meet its target. So accept my bracha that we should all have our tefillos niskabel. We should be zeichet to go into these yam taivim of Kabbalah Satira. The days of Sir are getting closer and closer to the final tisbru chamishim yayim, the climax, which is Shavuos. And we know that it's so important for all of us 
that we have dedicated our lives to Tyra. We have, you know, we are so involved with Tyra. We send our children to yeshiva, our husbands. We sent out to learn, and we, we're, we're, you know, and and we are dedicating so much of our life to Tyra. It's very important to know that the tefillahs that we put into it have a direct impact. Don't ever think that we have a very little little role to play in our husband's success and our children's success. The women are especially, um, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave women the, this special tefillah while they're lighting candles to daven for the success of their family in terms of Torah, that means that you have tremendous power in doing amazing things for your children, for your husband, and take advantage. Daven and daven and don't stop davening and never become depressed if you don't see the results because the results will come, but they will come at the perfect time. Have a wonderful night and a chakash of Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.